this five minute video, I didn't curse anybody out. I didn't name call. It was very informational. I spoke about my experience, how we can learn from it, why it's offensive, the history behind it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Put that out. Story started to circulate. Uh, CNN, AP, everybody. And the response I got from pretty much the all corners of the internet was mixed. But the most prominent response was death threats and people saying shut up and dribble. For real. So so hold yep. on, let's 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 stop right here. We'll discuss race and how it plays a factor and how we didn't even talk about this topic because we were afraid. A black executive perspective. Welcome to a Black Executive Perspective podcast, a safe space where we discuss all matters related to race, especially race in corporate America. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit. Today is an exciting day because we're taking our talents on the road and we're at 88.7 WNAHU New Haven at the University of New Haven radio station. So we're very excited to be able to bring a Black Executive Perspective podcast to this environment, the, uh, the radio station and the college kids here are so excited for us to be here. So this is going to be a place that we're going to be coming to on periodically to partner together. So we want to thank them for their hospitality with a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Now, you know, one of the things is <clears throat> that happens today, you know, sports is a very vast global entertainment platform, as we all know. It captures our collective enthusiasm for sports teams and players across diverse areas of sports as the gridiron, the diamond, the ice, and obviously the basketball court. While we hold great admiration for athletes' performance, there is a prevalent sentiment urging them, especially those in sports like basketball, to confine their focus to the professional realm and abstain from engaging in discussions about political or social issues. This viewpoint may hinder their recognition and acknowledgement as complete citizens, limiting their ability to not only showcase their athletic prowess, but also to express diverse talents, such as ideas, advocacy for causes resonating with all citizens. Our guest today, Matt Maxwell Pierce, a member of the Harlem Globetrotters, is here to delve into his distinctive journey as a professional athlete and share insights on race, success, activism, the arts, and overcoming challenges. Maxwell Pierce, welcome to a Thank Black you for Executive me, Perspective podcast, buddy. So excited to see you, man. How you doing? I'm good. How about yourself, man? I'm doing really, really well, man. It's awesome. So look, at the end of the day, you, you know, number one, we're excited that you're, you're here. I know you got a really busy schedule. You're traveling all over the place. Uh, but before we dive in and get to know the real Maxwell Pierce, right, <laughs> outside of the Harlem Globetrotters, give us a little high level, like where you're from, your little background, family, and then we'll dive into it. Yeah, so like you said, um, we are currently in New Haven right now. I'm from about an hour south of here in Westchester County, New York, in a small village called Tuckahoe. Uh, I think growing up, coming from Tuckahoe, it gave me this approach that I needed to put where I'm from on a map. And because we were always so slept on and underrepresented, I always felt 
like that matched my um, pretty much my persona and my physical build on the court. I was always super small. Um, I was always the last to pretty much hit a certain uh, milestone in terms of what my growth was growing up. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of changed or shifted my mindset from um, where I was when I was a kid to where I am now and understanding that your race is your race. So, um, you know, I definitely felt like that kind of contributed to the patience that I had into growing into the person I am today. So I think coming from Tuckahoe um, had a lot to do with that. I graduated from Purchase College mm-hmm. in 2018. I was in the College Slam Dunk Contest, um, which I know we'll get into a little bit later. Um, and then pretty much from there, I signed with the Harlem Globetrotters, and that's ultimately where I am here now, six years into my career with the Globetrotters. Wow, buddy. Wow, wow. So if I'm hearing you correctly, um, because Tuckahoe is is a small area that's Very. like, you know, the what some people call the bedroom community of New York City. Okay, but it's it's not really well known. No. Right. <laughs> and so that's a chip on the town's shoulder. Right. All right. It's and true. you carried that chip. Right. That's a chip on your because it's like we're not well known, but there's a lot of talented individuals. So you held on to that chip and Very helped you so. basically use that chip to help you grow and be able to do the things you're doing. That what we're hearing. Absolutely. <laughs> OK, but look, at the end of the day and you know this, whatever, mo- whatever type of motivation and wherever it comes from in terms of how people can use it to get to where they go. That's all that matters. So exactly. Really appreciate that. So look, man, let's be clear here. And we're going to dive into this. You, uh, you're traveling all over the globe, right? Mm-hmm. You um, are one of the uh, faces, media faces for, yep. for the Harlem Globetrotters. You do a lot of different type of platforms. You, you chat with a lot of different media people from podcasts to television to radio, you you do a lot of things in the community with schools. So, you know, question I have for you, why did you want to appear on the Black Executive Perspective podcast? I think this is such a unique opportunity to share my experience, my perspective, and my insight on in my 27 years of life um, to an audience that can learn from it. I think it's really valuable when you can present important information in a really constructive way um, where people can actually, um, you know, consume it in a way that they can actually um, make change. Right. So I think that's one of the things that this podcast does well. And in a lot of other settings, it might be harder to deliver important information like this. Got it. Got it. Well, look, man, we're excited that you're here. And and thank you for that, because that's Our goal is to make people aware, you know, affect change and make this a very, you know, inclusive society for all people, no matter what their race, sexuality and the whole nine yards. So thank you for that. So you ready to jump into this? Let's do it. All right. Let's talk about it. All right. So talk a little bit. You you gave us a little bit, Tuckahoe. Tell us a little bit about you when you were young coming up through Tuckahoe and the stuff that you were going through. So growing up in Tuckahoe was interesting. As a kid, I was extremely shy. So I'm the first. I I, I promise. I'm the first of three kids. Um, I'm 27. I have a sister who's 25. I have a brother who's 21. So I'm two years older than my sister, six and a half years older than my brother. And although I was pretty much the leader of the, 
my parents' three children, again, I was super shy. I was a kid who didn't want to raise his hand in class because I was afraid of how my classmates were going to look at me while I'm answering a question, even if I knew the answer was right. Right, right. Still didn't want to raise my hand. So uh, being that kind of kid definitely contributed to the personality that I had on the court pretty much for the duration of my middle school basketball career. And then also playing in such a small uh, town, you know, you're limited to the kind of competition that you have. I wasn't aware of how good kids were at basketball until I got exposed to AAU basketball. So um, Tuckahoe, you know, although it did give me that chip on my shoulder, I didn't discover that chip until pretty much coming out of middle school into going into high school. Got it. Because high school is when I got exposed to a lot more kids from different areas. And and speaking of that, so you're playing basketball in Tuckahoe. Like yep. you said, small, so there's only so many kids. Yep. Talent is you know, based on the population. And then and, so, and you're you're pretty good, right? Yeah. At that in that area, right? But now you're starting to play AAU basketball yep. and you're starting to see other kids that their talent is on another level. How did yeah. you adjust to that? Uh, the adjustment period was tough for me because I was smaller than pretty much all of my teammates. I was probably like five, five foot. When I, my freshman year, I was probably five foot four, like a hundred pounds, wow. 110 pounds. So I was definitely getting pushed around and that was frustrating. And then, you know, I grew a little bit um, throughout my high school time. But one thing that did stay constant from middle school up until now is that I was inspired by two particular players to dunk the basketball. Uh, Nate Robinson and Vince Carter were two players that absolutely lit a fire in me in terms of like, I want to be able to dunk a basketball. I don't care what it is. And I feel like in middle school, I thought that if I could dunk, then that was my automatic ticket into playing professional basketball. So um, that's interesting. Now, it so is, it's. You didn't know Nate Robinson. Well, Nate, number one, just so everybody's clear, right? Nate Robinson was a basketball player for the, yes, Knicks, for the Knicks. And he wasn't that tall as well. He was like 5'8". He eight, was 5'. Right? Yep. So he was short. Vince Carter was 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so that yeah. makes sense, right? Right. But is it, was, did you chat with them or just watching them inspired you? Strictly watching them was enough to inspire Got me. it, got it. And then, um, ironically, in sixth grade, Allen Houston his children go to school or went to school with my younger siblings. And so Alan was having a basketball camp. And I, when I went to that camp, Alan brought Nate, who was in his second year with the Knicks okay. at that time. Yeah, okay. um, and we, <laughs> we got paired up in a shootout. So Nate was my teammate. Um, shortly after I discovered this love for dunking a basketball via him and Vince Carter. So it was a super cool moment to be able to share the court with him in sixth or seventh grade, whatever that was. That must have been awesome, right? It was cool. Did he give you a nugget or two that you ended up using? I later was too on? shy to ask okay. questions at that time. Okay. So okay. that was a little frustrating because there was questions that I had, but again, I was I was too shy to ask him. But I think um, going back to how I kind of adjusted to high school basketball, I think it was more so um, understanding that the physicality was different that I was no longer the best player on the court. Um, and in, in fact, I had two player, two teammates who are now in the NBA from that particular high school team. One of them, his name is Ty Jerome. He plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, and the other is Matt Ryan. Matt plays for the New Orleans Pelicans. Wow. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of good high schools around here, 
But the fact that we had two NBA caliber players on the same team, and they showed that because their recruitment was, there was always some big time college in our practices. Um, it showed me like what the best of the best look like. Right. And it definitely changed my game because it showed me that what I was dealing with in middle school and even a little bit of early high school uh, was not the best that the game had to offer around our age. So right. I think that kind of contributed to my growth and adjustment as as an athlete. And then you time. ended up going to Purchase College, right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about that experience. So coming out of high school, I actually transferred from that school that I had those um, two uh, current NBA teammates on. I transferred to Tucko High School my senior year. So I only did one year at Tucko High School. Um, I probably had my best high school year there. That's where all of my college recruitment came from. My first, the first school that reached out was a school, was a SUNY school called Fredonia State. Okay. It's in Western New York. And I ended up going there for my freshman year of college. Um, I did individual, individually, I did pretty well. As a team, we didn't do well. Right. And I didn't like how isolated that campus was. So I transferred from there to Purchase College. So I Got to purchase my sophomore year, and I ended up graduating. So I only did three years instead of four years at purchase. Got it, got it. My senior year at purchase, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. My sophomore year at purchase, uh, we were playing basketball on a summer day. I dunked on one of my best friends, and <laughs> somebody was recording and shared the video on Twitter. And I went to sleep that night. Did Knew the, the video um, was pretty bad, but I didn't want to share it because I knew that videos like that had the potential to go viral, and I didn't want to embarrass my friend. Oh, so, because you just, not to cut you off, but when you said yeah. bad, you meant, when you said bad, the video was bad, like, what do you mean? Like, the, it was like an embarrassment it, for your friend? It was an embarrassment for my got it, friend. Got it, got it, got it. And so I didn't want something like that to hit the internet because I knew it had the potential to go viral. And make him look bad. And make him look bad. Got it, got it. So, little did I know, someone who was already at the park that day filming had already posted it. But I wasn't on Twitter like that. So I woke up the following day and my phone was I, my, I had never seen my phone like that. It was blowing up. Huh? It was it was outrageous. And so at that point, I was like it was a it was a bittersweet feeling because it was I, th I thought it was cool that that video was all these on all these platforms that I had followed. But at the same time, I felt bad because, again, that was my friend on the. But did he get the, mad at did your so friend? So he he had. Such a great response. He said, Max, I think you should post this on your personal page because you never know what opportunities could come from That's it. So he was totally welcoming That's to That's a great it. friend. He, he's a great person. Um, so ultimately, with his approval, I shared it. And that's pretty much what the birth of my social media presence was. Wow, buddy. So, And you ended up going, I mean, because, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, Dunking is one of the things that you do very, very well. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so yeah. you tell us a little bit about the Shark Tank competition and yep. finance. So um my career as an athlete has come in a bunch of different sports. I played five sports growing up. I I started with tennis, was not good at tennis, picked up a basketball, that stuck around, played football, baseball, and ran cross country. So in my experience with all of those sports, I always witnessed teammates who struggled with the transition out of their sport and into whatever that next chapter was. Got it. Particularly in basketball and football. 
in those two sports, the statistics are outdoing the the rest of those sports that I mentioned um, exponentially. So there are a lot of players who either go bankrupt after playing professionally, if they're lucky enough to be in that less than 1% who do make it to play professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not handling their finances properly. Um, they don't know what to do next. And a lot of this is because athletes just aren't exposed to other things in their journey as an athlete. They right. own, they put all of their eggs into this one basket. They're really just not prepared for that next transition. Some mm-hmm. of them are, but a lot of us aren't. Right. And so I wanted to create something that helped prepare us for some of the financial turmoil, um, if we're lucky enough to make it that far, um, but if we're not, prepare us for the transition out of this sport. Because it's also a lifestyle change. Once you stop playing a game that you play hours on end a day, you got to figure out, like, what what is my next move? Right. So ultimately, the, ultimately, that's how Finance was born. Um, my teammate in college, his name is Derek Ansa, and I, uh, we are the co-founders of Finance. So we basically created this nonprofit to assist athletes in the transition into the next phase of life, whether that's when you stop playing in high school or whether you play professionally and you want to get into something else. And so tell how do you assist them? Like give give me give us some, some So thoughts. ideally what we would have is like a seminar at a school where we would talk to the kids, particularly the athletic programs, about how you can squeeze the most out of a basketball or a football or a baseball um, because it it's more than just something that you put in a basket. It's <laughs> right. a vessel for a lot of different things. Like I've been to 13 different countries, 47 states. Um, I've been in, in rooms and places that I never thought I would be mm-hmm. because of how I use the basketball. I didn't right. have to score 50 in a game. I didn't have to set foot on an NBA court to make the best out of what a basketball can provide for us. And then I think further than that, um, I, I wanted to make sure that all of the kids were aware that there are ways that you can use a basketball or football to open doors for you for other things that you're passionate about. That is awesome, buddy. That is awesome. And, you know, one of the things is you you gave the statistics in terms of, number one, I think it's only 1% of all athletes yeah. that end up right. making it in professional sports yep. anyway. Out of hundreds of thousands or millions, I yeah, should say. Yeah, it's millions. That, it's that millions. Play. millions, yep. 1%. And then out of that 1%, that end up making money, I think the percentage is very small in terms of those who end up becoming successful outside of their mm-hmm, sport. Mm-hmm. Because to your point, they don't, they've never created another way outside yeah. of what they do, right? right. So right. your program is a way to educate them to be able to set themselves up and always be cognizant of you ain't gonna play this sport forever. And then yeah. more importantly, you wanna make sure that you be able to make money and be able to prosper in other things. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think the the part that's most important about what you just said is that you can't play forever. Like you can, even if you're the best to ever play the game, you're going to have to put the ball down sometime. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and sometimes they don't want to like Tom Brady. Right. He, he yeah, didn't want yeah. to put it's the football hard. down. It's right? hard. Again, because it's a lifestyle thing. So, you know, that your whole life for so many athletes, your life surrounds that sport. So exactly. when it's time to walk away from it, it's hard. So now. Let's be fair, though. You're still in the game, though. I <laughs> All right. So you even though you got a lot of things that you're doing on the side, which is great. And we're going to dive into those other things outside of basketball. Right. And you spoke a little bit earlier about the significance in terms of advocacy, activism. So we're going to dive there. For, we're going to yeah. dive there soon. But I want to I want to go into your slam dunk and your social media stuff. Right. Yeah. Because you that that uh, video 
that your your friend posted. Yep. That was your first foray into terms of social media. Yep. More importantly, people seeing what you can do. And now you're known, you know, for your slam dunk as, uh, escapades. Yep. Matter of fact, I think you're, if I'm correct, you're going to the NBA All-Star game. Yes. Right? <laughs> and you're going to assist in some. So tell us a little bit about some of the dunks and some of the social recognition you've yeah. been getting from that. So in the last... So that video happened in 2015, so it's almost 10 years ago, which is crazy. Um, but that introduced me to the power of social media. Mm. I didn't realize that you could get so many eyes on something so quickly. Um, and so once I realized that, I was like, obviously, I'm going to try and recreate what worked, which was a dunking video. Um, and it took me a while to realize that I could share other things that I can potentially acquire the same amount of eyes on so in that last nine or ten year span um, I've been able to do some really cool things and get on some some interesting platforms via social media um, that video in particular ended up being on a show called MTV ridiculousness uh, which was the their episode with Kobe Bryant so Kobe we got a like a live reaction from Kobe to that dunk before he passed which was um, you know, something that How I cool never that? thought <laughs> I would cool be able that, to impact right? Kobe. Yeah. Um, so that I've been in two video games uh, thus far, like video games that I've grown up playing. So like which ones? Which video NBA games? 2K and NBA Live. So wait a minute, stop a second, brother. I just want to make sure I'm clear here. You you an NBA 2K? So if you if you buy NBA 2K right now and you create a my player, a lot of the dunks that your my player would do are dunks that I did. So I would I got in this motion capture suit. With these dots, with the all dots over. and stuff all over, right? Yep, and then just did did all my dunks, and they put them in the game. <laughs> that is awesome, yeah. man. That is awesome. Yeah. So, I, and and I think uh, my journey in particular is just um, such a good example of how you can use a basketball to get yourself in a, in a lot of spaces that the traditional basketball route. Uh, might not put you in, especially because I'm a product of Division Three. I'm not a Division One athlete, right. so most of the time, the stereotypes with Division Three don't associate themselves with big stages um, or big platforms. So uh, I've gotten to do some video games. In 2020, I created a video, a dunk video, with my friend Rob, and it was an honorable mention for an ESPY. Um, so there have been a lot of really cool things that have happened thus far. And I'm I'm like fast forwarding through stuff. I'm trying to hit like the really no, the really no, no. big things. But it's all good, my friend. You know, <laughs> and this is exciting. I you know, cause some of the stuff I didn't even know, especially about the, the video game and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> so think about this for a second. Cause you just said something that I, I, I wanna put a pin in for a second. Yep. You went to division three. Yes. Okay. So let's let's just put that for a second. Typically, the people that end up making it, especially in the NBA. Yep. Okay. You yep. could go to a small college and 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 for playing football, and they'll find you. Right. <laughs> All right. You may yeah. make it to the NBA. Uh, excuse me, NFL. NFL. You may yep. not be a first round draft choice. You be second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. Yeah. But the NBA only has two rounds in terms of where yep. they're drafting people, right? True. And so, and 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 there's thirty something teams, so that's maybe sixty players, sixty two, yep. sixty four players that's being drafted every year, once a year. And the majority of them, the majority come from a division one school. I think Dennis Rodman, if I remember, cause I'm from Detroit. I think Dennis Rodman went to South, Southeast Oklahoma state or something. I don't know if that was mm -hmm. division one, but division three. 
Okay. Very rare that Very you rare. make it to that two level. Players. Okay. You're playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. More importantly, you, because of that, or because of social media, I just want to stay there, mm -hmm. you're able to build your brand. Yes. Right? And be able to, because most, and again, I don't know, you can speak to it. Most people think that people who play with the Harlem Globetrotters, or even on that level, it's Division One. They right. come from, yep, from those big schools yeah. and stuff of that nature, right? And you were able to, from Tuckahoe, with that chip on your shoulders, That's right. <laughs> all right? That's right. You were able to build your brand from social media, all right? And it opened up doors, right, that you probably never would have thought of. Nope. And I, I, I'm so glad that you structured the conversation this way because this in particular is what really was responsible for me to start claiming that chip on my shoulder. Like I, like I said, I was a really shy kid mm -hmm. for a while. And I think once I got to purchase and started leveraging my platform, that's when I realized I had some actual power and it's, it's not enough for me to just sit back and, and be too cool or to be too shy. So once I figured that out, that's when I started to take advantage of my platform a little bit more. And I grew my following um, somewhat consistently from my sophomore year to my senior year. Senior year at Purchase, I got the opportunity to be in this dunk contest, which is called the Dark Horse Dunk Contest. And basically, I had to get voted in. So I had to use my network. Um, I also leveraged my following because that is an extension of my network. Um, so I, I leveraged all of that, and I was able to win that, that contest. It was a month-long voting uh, I'm going up against guys from Villanova, like all of those really big Division One schools. Right. Um, so I think the chip in my shoulder, on my shoulder, definitely came in handy in that in that experience, and ultimately in that college dunk contest. Although I did not win, that catapulted so much in my basketball experience. Right. Right. As well as your brand, though, too. And right? my brand, because people were able to see who you are. Right. Right. Go ahead. And I, I think um, that week, that contest in particular was such a important moment for me uh, because I got to meet our good friend, Nick. Yeah. Who, uh, who, so, so just real quick, not because yeah. I want you to finish the story. Yep. So uh, who uh, Max is, is referenced to is Nick Bianchi. Yes. Uh, Nick uh, used to be the uh, 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 VP of brand and social uh, uh, media at, at DirecTV. Um, and you met Nick that weekend down there, right? So tell yep. us a little bit about it, because not only did you meet Nick, there were some other things that came out of that, yeah. right? That you, you're just going down there for this dunk contest. Right. <laughs> all yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, all that, you're looking to do, right? I'm going to do, I'm just going to be here for a couple of days. I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back. So pick it up from there. Yeah. So I was there strictly to participate in this dunk contest, which was already going to be the highlight of my life at that time, uh, because I had grown up watching that contest. I was only going to be there for the contest, and then I had to go back to campus because this was during the semester. This wasn't like right. you were outside yeah, of yeah, school, yeah, yeah. you know, although it was my senior year. I still had to finish my senior project, all of that. Right. So um, this is Final Four weekend in San Antonio, and I finished the contest, and I was pretty much prepared. I already had a flight book to go back to New York to go to class on Monday. And I had a cousin that uh, was working with Nick, and um, I'm not exactly sure what the conversation was between them, but ultimately, um, Nick and my cousin ended up reaching out 
and I stayed for while you were there. They reached while out. I was there, um, in San Antonio, and I ultimately stayed for pretty much an extra week, and I got to go to the um, Final Four games as well as the national championship game. This was my first uh, brand deal ever. This was my introduction to speaking in front of a camera, um, especially when it comes to like social media platforms. Um, I was a lot less polished then than I am now, but you know, just the fact that they took a chance knowing that I did not have an ounce of experience in that way prior, um, it, it meant the world. And that pretty much set up the foundation for where I am now. Exactly. Uh, seven, eight years later. So. And there was something else that came out of that, right? Because you didn't win the slam dunk contest, didn't but win. somebody saw you. That's right. And talk a little bit about that. That's right. So that particular contest is ultimately what led to the Harlem Globetrotters discovering me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I was just so, so surprised by how much came out of that one singular weekend. Um, but like when I got back to campus eventually, the sports information director was like, Max, somebody called and left a message for you. You need to call this number back. And that number was the Globetrotters. So ultimately, I called them back, went to a private workout, um, got an offer maybe like a week or so later, and the season started in that fall. So I graduated in May and was on the road by the fall. Think <laughs> about that, my friend. Think about that. It's now, crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm going to play. I wasn't in your head, but I'm just yep, going to yep. paint this, right? You're going down for a dunk contest from school. You got to be back a few days to take your test. All yeah. right. And you're just thinking, I'm going down here. I'm do my thing. I'm, you're definitely going down trying to win. Right. right? Of course. But I'm going to do course. that. Then I'm going to cut out. Yeah. And then by going down there, this situation, all of a sudden, all these other things came out of it. Right. Do you think that's luck or coincidence? It's it's not luck or coincidence. It is definitely opportunity meeting uh a, a little bit of a combination of opportunity meeting good people uh meeting like right place right time and to be fair you put in all the work for right that, right there's right. an old saying it's called the law of left field all right and a good great book i recommend people read is called the go-giver and the law of left field is something that we all experience, okay? And basically what it it, 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 it it focuses on is that we're putting our energy, our effort, right in this one particular area, right? And we're expecting to get a reward from that area, all right? And sometimes we do, but sometimes it doesn't right. happen, right? And right. then what we do is we like, oh, this is not working out. But the law of left field, all of a sudden, something comes from out of nowhere, <laughs> boom, right? right? And you're right. like, oh, my God, look at this. And some you know, people who don't know the work that you put in, they were like, oh, that's yeah. you were lucky. No, right. that effort that you put in, that right. preparation, all the things that you, you apply to yourself, your positive attitude, the chip right. on your shoulder, right. all the things you practice in your dunks, yep. All those things, you were putting that energy here, but then the opportunity came from somewhere else and it was right on time. Those two things meet together. So it's not luck. It's you right. putting that effort, that attitude and stuff. Didn't and You could say a little bit came directly because you didn't win the dunk contest, right. but you ended up winning anyway. Yes. Because you won from working with a big corporation, you know, in terms of brand and stuff like that, yeah. where Nick worked, and yep. you won from the opportunity for the Harlem Globetrotters, right? Yes. And so that is awesome. And that's something that we all need to recognize, right? That every time we put effort in one area, 
and we're doing everything. And if it doesn't come from that, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that's that's a great point. okay. That's a great right. Point. Because at the end of the day, the law of left field, something will come from somewhere else. It's just a matter of time. So now let's pivot to this because you spoke earlier, you know, about, you know, your, your foundation where you help athletes from a financial standpoint, prepare yep. for financial, yep. right? Now, you could have just stayed into the realm of basketball, um, just focused on your career with the Globetrotters, right. be their media spokesperson, as well play, travel. Mm -hmm. But you also uh, use your social uh, media brand for activism and act advocacy as well. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I think um, the, the interesting part about my social media journey is that although I was, well, my journey as a person in general, although I was very shy, I, like everybody, have certain things that I'm passionate about, certain things that I really care about. And my, I have a grandmother who is the antithesis of shy. She, <laughs> she is in your face in a, lo in a loving way, but when she has to address issues, she's going to address them. There's just no way around it. She's very direct in that regard. So I felt like I always had that fire. It just took the right experiences to help me figure out a way where I could use that fire in a controlled manner. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to just go into situations guns are blazing. So once I realized that, you know, I had the courage to speak up, then it was just about being tactful. So um, and I say all that to say now that I had this platform of 30 or 40,000 people at the time or whatever it was on on Instagram I was like I'm posting all these dunks I'm growing my platform um which is great and you know like people are enjoying basketball or whatever but I don't really feel good at the fact that there are things that I'm having an issue with that are happening mm -hmm. and I'm not using a platform where I can reach x thousands of people at the click of a post and I'm not taking advantage of that. Right. So I think once I came to that realization um, in combination with discovering the the courage that I had to do so, I was like, I'm going to start using this platform for things outside of basketball. And what were some of the things that you were saying? You just got finished saying that, hey, I'm going through some things. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about those. So, um, I, I mean, my experience as a black athlete has come with so many different um, stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're stereotyped to be one-dimensional, mm -hmm. um, not intellectual, not capable of anything else outside of our sport. Mm -hmm. um, and that always frustrated me. Mm -hmm. That always frustrated me. And I think even if someone on my team, whatever sport I was playing, fit one of those stereotypes, then they would use that particular person as the example to to use the broad brush and paint everybody on that team. Right. And that always irked me. And so once I understood how I wanted to communicate these issues and why these stereotypes are hurtful, uh, then that's when I started to execute my plan to publicly speak on those things. Um, that was just the introduction to my advocacy on social media. But mm -hmm. then it really ramped up. In 2020, mm -hmm. I was doing an interview on live television in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And this was for the Globe Shotters. So we were getting ready to uh, play in Birmingham like a week after this. 
And long story short, on this live interview, these two other news anchors started throwing fruit at me, one of which was a banana. So let me stop a second. I just want to make sure I'm clear here. Yep. So you're down in Birmingham. Down in Birmingham. Doing a live shoot with the local... On live television. On live yep. television. Local television station, yep. on the yards, promoting the Globetrotters. Yep. And you're... And then there's... You said some people from the station? Or... Uh, one of the news anchors... Well, one, two news anchors, two, one of which was on the segment, on camera, one of which was behind the camera. And they threw a banana at you? So, so the first one pulled out a tangerine from his pocket, tossed it to me, see if he could catch me off guard. I caught it, thought that was weird, but I gave it back to him. If it was just that, it, I, I would have just went about my day. I would have thought that was weird. Right. But then he gave it to someone else who was off camera, who then threw the tangerine, like at this point trying to hit me. Because I'm, I'm looking, at, it's like if I was looking at you and a tangerine just came from back there. Right. So you're so, like, what's going on here? So now I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I've had enough TV experience at that point to know that like I'm not going to let anybody break me out of character, mm -hmm. especially on live television. So I'm still smiling, keeping my composure. But in my head, I'm like, wow, like this is now the second time that somebody's throwing something that is completely unannounced, uninvited. Like so anyway, then 20 seconds after that, somebody else comes from behind the camera and throws a banana at me. And I caught the banana, smiled it off. They ended the segment. And being that I grew up in New York going to the Bronx Zoo, I was already aware of the dark history right. of the relationship between bananas yeah. um, and particularly throwing bananas at black people. It's also happened in soccer, hockey, mm -hmm. a bunch of different sports. Um, and really quick to touch on the Bronx Zoo and why that's relevant is because in the early 1900s, the Bronx Zoo had an exhibit where they, when they kidnapped a family from the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's one man in particular, his name is Ota Benga, Ota Benga, and he was ultimately living in the monkey exhibit in the early 1900s at the Bronx Zoo, where he was on display for a quarter million people a year, and people would come from all over the world and literally feed and throw him bananas like he was another monkey. Wow. And so... You know, again, growing growing up, going to the Bronx Zoo and learning about that story, especially prior to this experience. Mm -hmm. Once I once that happened, I was already like, OK, is this racially motivated? Is this out of ignorance? Like, <laughs> So let me ask you this, because they throw the you're on live television. They throw yeah. the tangerine and then they throw the banana. And then obviously after the segment, what, did you say something to them? What did I they was, say? I was so caught off guard that I like took my mic off and we left immediately. I I didn't even have like the words to articulate how I was feeling. I needed a moment to to process like what was happening. Um so it was a lot. And and that experience taught me a lot about myself and that my parents have always taught me to respond rather than react. Right. And I wanted the space and the time to figure out how I wanted to respond. I didn't want to just start throwing stuff back at them, although I would have been justified, but didn't want to throw stuff back at them. No, um, you did the right thing because, you know, they were trying to get a reaction. Let me ask you this. In terms of, so this was on live television, so I, I would imagine people saw it, right? Did right. you did you see anything from a social media? Like, what was going I'm so on? I'm so glad you asked that. So talk, tell us a little bit I'm about so that. I'm so glad you asked that. So 
nobody spoke like nobody said anything on social media or I mean maybe they got emails but I've, I'm not privy to those emails right so nobody spoke out to my knowledge about it and that bothered me more because what we see on television especially when it's this is not like a scripted show exactly you know, this is live so what people see there is ultimately what is reinforced or enabled um so if somebody saw that happen and thought that okay that you know that went unchecked so i guess that must be okay for people to do or you know, that's okay to do to black people um i was like this has to be rectified on the same platform that it happened so what i was looking for ultimately i didn't i wasn't calling for anybody to be fired right. i wasn't trying to press charges none of that i just wanted them to address it and apologize on the same platform that it happened did they do that that ultimately did not happen until I put out my own video because they weren't willing to do it. You wait a minute, so, so hold on. I, I, so just because I don't, I want to respond and not react. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's making me upset here. Yeah. So you're telling me here that you had to push multiple times for them or threaten to put your own video out to threaten them to be able to apologize. There was a four month span of going back and forth in private. And and ultimately, I didn't get the the resolution, which was an apology on there that I was looking for. What was their point of view, though? Well, I I never corresponded with the anchors. It was with the news director. So, but what was his point of view? That it was out of ignorance, and they didn't do it intent. They weren't intentionally trying to be racist. Um, which you know, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't you say can't what they were thinking. You can't speak to that, right? Right. I right. can't speak to that, and I won't because I think that's that's a little bit irresponsible. But Correct. at the very least, it is ignorant. It is, ignorant. and so um, apology is warranted. Apology is absolutely warranted, and and one of the things that I've learned in my life is that your intention doesn't exclude or yeah your intention doesn't excuse correct. what the impact is correct you could have good intentions and a really bad impact but if you impacted somebody in a negative way it warrants an apology so what did that do for you obviously you're upset you you but in terms of your activism and advocacy yes. what did that do so that was the catalyst for me to go completely onto the other side of not being shy so what i did was Think about how can I tactfully um, get everyone to learn from this experience while at the same time impact the most amount of people at the same time. So I created my own video, a five minute video to put on my own platform of whatever, how many thousand people. But um, I knew that I was going to be able to get a, a significant amount of reach mm -hmm. uh, more than that station. And so. This five-minute video, I didn't curse anybody out. I didn't name call. It was very informational. I spoke about my experience, how we can learn from it, why it's offensive, the history behind it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Put that out. Story started to circulate. Uh, CNN, AP, everybody. And the response I got from pretty much the all corners of the internet was mixed. But the most prominent response was, Death threats and people saying "shut up and dribble," for real. So, so hold yep. on. Let's 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 stop right here. So you put this together. Yep. Right. In more of a positive standpoint, right? Yep. Just hey, this happened. This happened. This is something that shouldn't happen. Yep. 
right? We want to learn from this. Yep. Uh, and we want to make everyone aware and make everybody better. Regardless of what happened to me, we don't want to happen to anybody else from whatever racial right. background or whatever case may be, right? Yep. And the most consistent response you got was death threats and yep. shut up and dribble? Go dribble in traffic, <laughs> shut up and dribble. Those are the two things that ring a bell the most. And that was for about a two-month span. Wow. Where if I just opened my Instagram DMs, that's what I would see. So obviously, if it was me, I would have been looking for, and I, we all going to get that, right? There's yep. always a segment yep. of the population that no matter what, they just Absolutely. see it that way, right? Absolutely. But I would have thought that you would have got a lot of positive response out of it, I right? Did. You got I some, did. right? I got some positive response so so how did that make you feel when you saw those and again that's unfortunately it's just there's some people yeah. that don't even want to listen they yep. don't want to have dialogue right nope. they just want to they already set in their waves did th that make you double down on what you wanted to do did that what did what did you know that negative response what did that what 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 fire what happened out of that for you great question so directly singularly from that response, mm -hmm. I decided I'm going to use another form of expression that I have been uh, practicing since I was in like third grade, which is the arts. I've been creating art since third grade and it was always private for the most part. Uh, my, my dad's half brother is a painter. My dad's cousin is a painter. Um, so there are some, some artists on my dad's side that have definitely inspired me to go that route. Nevertheless, it was always a form of expression. I had an aunt that passed. One of the first things I did was like draw a picture in tribute to her. So mm -hmm. it's always been a form of expression, especially in hard times for me. Um, because of that, once this experience happened, I was like, I am going to use my artistic ability to highlight athletes who use their platform to speak out against social and racial injustice. So I created a collection of artwork that we ultimately displayed at uh, Art Basel in 2022 at Namdi Gallery. And this collection was solely about highlighting those athletes who use their platform. So I highlighted Wilma Rudolph, Althea Gibson, Serena Williams, LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Muhammad Ali, um, Naomi Osaka, the, a, a lot of athletes. Um, who are similar in that regard. That is awesome, man. And if I remember correctly, you had some famous uh, sports uh, teams and companies buy some of your your, yes. your art. Who were the, who were they? So um, the owners of the L.A. Dodgers purchased a Jackie Robinson piece. Um, the so Colin Kaepernick has a nonprofit called Know Your Rights Camp. Mm -hmm. um, they have reshared multiple times the Kaepernick tribute piece. Um, there's a piece that is in the Detroit Institute of Art. Um, two pieces are going in the Diversity Museum of Arts and Culture in Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, I'm forgetting one. Westchester Hall of Fame? Yes. Yes. There we go. So liter literally like four or five hours from now, one of those pieces will be going up in the Westchester County Center which is the same place that I graduated college from. I played my last high school game, basketball game from. Um, this piece in particular highlights four WNBA players who decided to sit out their season to focus on social and racial injustice issues. So all four of those players also played in this very county center that this piece is going in. So I, I just think there's no truly no better fit for that piece to live permanently 
than that place. That is awesome. So, 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 so just backing up what we yeah. were talking about earlier, right? And you spoke a little bit to it um, about how people see athletes, especially African American yeah. athletes, right, yep. as ignorant and they only can do one thing and they're not cultural. You don't fit that mold. No. Okay. No. You don't. And I, I. And here's the thing, though. And you can tell us because obviously you spend a lot of time a lot around a lot of athletes, and you kind of said it earlier. Where if there's one person on the team yeah. that is it, you know, fits that stereotype, mm -hmm. they paint a broad brush. Yeah. But there, I would imagine there's a ton of athletes that's doing stuff like what a you're doing. A ton, a ton, and that it's so important that you you made that distinction because I think that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to do this in real time while I'm an athlete because the reception is different if I'm speaking from someone who used to play and now I'm trying to do stuff. It's not what I'm what I'm trying to preach so much is that there are things that you can do while you are an athlete. And I think people would receive it differently if I looked like I played and now I'm trying to do something else, but claim that I was doing things while I was playing. Right. I want to be able to, to show it in real time. Exactly. So um, th that's primarily why I'm I'm doing it in this way. Buddy, so for uh, um, uh, a small kid growing up in Tuckahoe, <laughs> New York, who's skinny, he's five foot four, yep. has a chip on his shoulder, who's shy, very shy, who's shy, right? Um, you know what, my friend, you've really, really taking who you are, and that's always been inside of you anyway, to a whole True. nother level, right? And I can imagine, you know, it's like when we started this platform, um, I was I was nervous. Hey, let me back up a little bit. When I first started talking about race, because like you, I never spoke hard, about race, yeah. right? And I was afraid, like the majority of us, we're afraid, okay, because of all the backlash that can happen. Um, and I knew how nervous I was the first time that I had to, you know, get together and in front of people and, and talk about a topic that... I, you know, at the end of the day, I was expecting was going to be very negative. Okay. Yeah. And so I can imagine. And, but however, I will say this, like you, I had a motivation right. that was like, I can't take, you know, I'm done with this. Yeah. We need to have these conversations. Yeah. So I can imagine when you first, because that's not something you wanted to do. If I can, am I correct or not? I'm so glad you said that. So, um, to speak a little bit more to my experience with this banana incident in particular, mm -hmm. um, it's so representative of what a really crucial part of the black experience is, mm -hmm. particularly with microaggressions. So this happened in January of 2020. It took me a month to decide how I wanted to handle it. And part of that was because I was afraid that because race was such a touchy topic, that if I spoke out about this, I might lose my job. So because of that, I was hesitant in how I wanted to handle it. Eventually, I got to a point where I was like, I have to speak out about this. This was also at the same time that George Floyd happened. So that was part of what pushed me in that direction to be like, I have to speak up. So um, that, that contemplation of how do I want to handle this um, or was that? That we try to downplay it and be like, no, nah, it actually wasn't that bad. I should probably just sweep it under the rug. Um, all of that, all of that constantly, constantly happens where you think like, did somebody actually just 
did they did I did they say what I think they just said? Right. Did they do what I think they just did? Um, so that that constantly happens, and sometimes it's hard to check it at the door, especially in certain spaces, because you know how um, volatile that that topic is. Like it 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 it's polarizing, and 2020 just reminded us of that. But um, yeah, I I think my hesitation was just so uh, representative of how everybody. Um, you know, it experiences microaggressions. And sometimes people check it at the door without even thinking about it. But for a lot of people, you have to weigh the consequences. Like, you know, you have real things at stake. Exactly. And, yeah. and you know, that's an important thing that people need to understand is that the majority of us don't want to really talk about this. We don't want to because we, 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 but unfortunately we have to because we're not going to make the world better. Right. Letting everybody walk around yep. and be ignorant. Right. Yep. We have to make these things aware. People aware of these things. And to be fair, too, we don't know everything. We have our own nope. issues that we need to learn 100%. as well. Right. With other cultures 100%. and other. So unless we talk about and make these uncomfortable conversations comfortable, we're not going to become a, a better society. Yeah. Because here's the thing. And I love to hear your point on this because I want to I want to jump to something else real quick because I know you got a bunch of stuff coming up. Um, Is that at the end of the day, you know, there's more good people yes. on the planet yep. than there are bad, bad. people, right? I totally believe I that. just believe that a lot of people are just ignorant to the fact because we've, for centuries, not for centuries, forever, yeah. <laughs> we've right, never, right. ever talked about that. What's your thoughts? Right. Um, I think this is a good a good opportunity to give you guys your flowers for this platform in particular because this is so much more of a tactful way how I was referring to earlier. This is so much more of a tactful way to address these issues in a way that it can be received. Sometimes I feel like, you know, with, with issues like how we're just talking about right now, so much of how the environment is when you're trying to address it will determine how it's received. Right. So, you know, in this way, like you're not, you know, you're not jumping up and down yelling at every anybody, which you would have a right to because of right. the insidious history behind these things. But um, you're you're presenting it in a way where, you know, people can share their perspectives and their insight. Um, and that's really, really valuable. And I respect that so much because there is a million ways that we could address these issues. So, you know, when I when I do think about that, I, I think platforms like this are just so critical. And so I'm I'm really happy that you started this. Well, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate yeah. it. And we can't do what we do without having people like yourself be thank willing you. <laughs> to come on and be vulnerable and share your stories. Right. Now, look, you got a few things coming up here. Um, tell us a little bit. I think you're going to the NBA All-Star Game. Tell us yeah. what's going on with that. And tell so, us some of the <laughs> other quick foundations that yeah. you're doing and, and stuff to that nature. Yeah. So um, uh, the All-Star Game is in Indianapolis this year, February 16th to the 18th. And I'm going to be going there to do a few things. Uh, last year, I got a chance to speak to the HBCU art students that the NBA is partnering with. Uh, this year, I'm going to be doing the same thing in addition to bringing an art piece of my own to show in their exhibition. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then in the NBA dunk contest, I might be assisting one of the dunkers in one of their dunks. Do you so, know who? I do, but I, okay, I'm, not I'm not going to say All right, say. all right. We can't even get no Let's breaking get news here on the Black Executive <laughs> Podcast. Okay. I remember that, my man. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Hey, so 
uh, just real quick in terms of what some of the 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 uh, other things you're doing from an advocacy standpoint yeah. that you want the audience to know about. Yes. So uh, this is a great opportunity to plug in what in a nonprofit that's called Rise to Win, mm-hmm. R-I-S-E, uh, Rise is all about empowering athletes and combating racial and social issues through sports. Okay. So Rise, at my most recent exhibition, Rise sponsored a panel discussion where we basically spoke about how we can use sports as a vessel to create change and leverage the platforms that we have. I think athletes have such a unique ability to unite people, and we can leverage that more. So Rise does a good job of that. That is awesome, man. Yeah. We get, we want to make sure we get the the information we can put on our website so we yep. can help promote it as well. Final thoughts for the audience, man. What do you want to leave with everyone here? I think the most indelible mark that I could leave from my experience as a person is that everyone just needs to remember to run their own race. In my experience as a person... I was a late bloomer, and I know people throw that term around a lot in terms of like what maybe, you know, in in basketball for me, I was always the the last one to get some weight and size on him. Um, but eventually that came, and I was a shy kid who wanted to speak out about things, but uh, didn't have the courage to at first, but eventually I got there. And, you know, now I'm I'm comfortable with speaking on random platforms or speaking in a, a room full of a thousand school kids. Um, so, you know, it's so important to run your own race and not pay too much attention to what your peers and the people in your space have got have going on. Because um, what's that phrase? Uh, comparison is the thief of joy. I, I don't know that one, but it might be. Um, I think you might have it right. When when you compare yourself to the people around you, you're going to lose sight of what your path is and, and you know, what your journey is all about. So definitely wanted to, um, you know, share that because I think that's been the, the most important thing that I've kept with me in my 27 years of life. Buddy, number one, thank you for that. Number two, you've shown us today and we've learned today, I should say, that you've run your own race. Right. And it's important that athletes like you said, you know, the people were telling you shut up and dribble or whatever the case may right. be. You're right. a citizen. You have every right to be able to promote, you know, and talk about things because just because you play something doesn't mean that you are not feeling something right. as well. Or you're not dealing with something. Right. It's so true. those things are important. But also, you know, in terms of the multifaceted uh, dimension, uh, dimension that yeah. you are right from being playing sports to being an artist to being a social media influencer, mm. to being an advocacy on a lot of different social uh, areas. Yeah. The wor- we would not be where we are today if we didn't have a Maxwell Pierce that Appreciate was basically that. bringing his full self, not just right. part, right. his full self, yeah. every day to be able to help us become a better city, town, country, and I love you for that, my friend. Thank you, man. And and the love is definitely mutual. And I, I think you make a great point about being your full self. You you cannot be your full self if you're listening to what everybody says you should be doing because that's going automatically limits you. So there's no question. It's a great point. So we've been blessed today having you on, man. We hopefully we can have you come back some other time. I would love to come back. All right. But really, thanks a lot. And thank you for 
tuning in to another episode of a Black Executive Perspective podcast. Maxwell Pierce went over a litany of things. As you can see, he's a fantastic human being. If we had more Maxwell Pierce, and I, I you know what, I, let me just say this. I know we have more Maxwell Pierces in the world, right? A ton of people. However, they get drowned out <laughs> by the other people, right? So, but as you can see, very multidimensional individual brings his whole self. And he talked about being a shy person and having a chip on his shoulder, but he could have went the other way. But he used that as motivation. And because he used that as motivation, he's affecting lives from a positive standpoint all over the globe. So we definitely want to thank him. So now it's time for our Tony tidbit section. And because of the conversation we have, the tidbit today is the true greatness of a professional athlete lies not just in their athletic prowess, but in their ability to leverage their platform for positive change and to and to contribute meaningful meaningfully to the society and guess what our friend maxwell pierce fits that tidbit so thank again thank you again for tuning into a black executive perspective podcast go to our website if you have not subscribed we want to reach more people give us a rating let us know how did you like this uh, episode with Maxwell Pierce? You can follow a black executive perspective on all of our social channels, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at a black exec. And also you can listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So for my fantastic hosts, a guest, I should say <laughs> Maxwell Pierce for our good friend at W. Uh, HNU, uh, sorry, WNHU uh, 88.7, our producer here, JJ, and we want to thank the University of New Haven allowing us to be able to use this uh, their podcast room for this platform today. I'm your host, Tony Tidbit. We talked about it. I love you, and we're out. A Black Executive Perspective.